हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर दर प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन दर डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो Inclusive design has become a buzzword in the design community. We live in a world that is becoming more digitized by the day, and as more and more products and services move online, companies need to ensure that no potential customer is being left behind. In fact, the brands that fail to take proactive steps to incorporate inclusive design are likely to struggle to engage with their more impaired users and that's why in this episode we interact with ramesh kohiseri who is the director of design at walmart global tech with over a decade and a half years of experience his expertise include user experience design strategy user research and design leadership today on our journey of discovering designering we talk to him about add to cart inclusive design hello ramesh welcome to avantika designering podcast series it's an honor and pleasure hosting you on our show today thank you rohit and avantika university for inviting me to this designering podcast series so as our uh, ice breaking question over the years ramesh as teams have grown more diverse dispersed digital and dynamic collaboration has sort of become more complex walmart you've set up the design team at walmart global tech india formerly known as the walmart labs how do you manage to lead teams with uh, which which land up designing for a very uh, diverse cultures and and set of customers yes right <clears throat> if you look at uh, you know like what you said right like so today we live in a very uh, you know complex world as well right like and so are uh, teams and the setup as well right and what we've done is you know made sure that diversity and inclusion are uh, you know very critical in setting up a team right like so and we made sure that you know that is primarily taken care of right with teams being dispersed geographically right it is important to make sure that the teams operate as one unit and towards a common goal so to do that right first and foremost it's really important to establish trust right when you have diverse teams across location right once you establish trust then you connect well and the collaboration becomes easy right? also bringing the teams together for regular regular check-ins discussions and ideations can really help foster a well-knit team right and then you know the, the location really doesn't matter right every team knows what they are responsible for what the common shared goal is and everyone drives towards it and when i joined walmart i think the scale of walmart is so huge right like so it was important for me to be open minded and be more curious right like so i soaked in as much as i can to understand uh, you know the various different businesses domains and really understand what works well 
and what doesn't, right? Uh, because we have so many different teams and so many different domains, right? And once I started to understand what uh, that nitty-gritty is, right? Like, and then it became, uh, you know, easy to understand and integrate some of these differences as we started building out the teams. And, you know, and as we built the teams, right? And I think one of the key ingredients uh, in any team is, you know, uh, the team to have the right skills, right? When I talk of skills, it's not just the design skills, right? But, uh, you know, cognitive, interpersonal skills, right? Which helps the team to network and collaborate with trust, right? I think these are the key ingredients, if you, if I were to say, right, that is essentially required to kind of set up the team. And then we just followed it along, uh, you know, through my journey in Walmart over the past eight years, and we've been able to set up uh, a fairly uh, a large size design community in Walmart Global Tech India. Super. So I'll I'll come to uh, you know more elaboration and some more questions on that. But before that, you know, talking about your journey, you received a bachelor's degree in engineering, and today uh, you are director of design at Walmart Global Tech India. How did this transition happen from the world of, uh, you know, technical to the to the world of creativity? How you know you know what happened in 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 this entire journey? Yeah, it's a really an interesting journey, if I were to say right. I got my engineering degree in printing technology from uh, BMS College of Engineering, Bangalore, and uh, I mean it it wasn't like my first choice, right? Like so, I. You know, attended uh, you know the common entrance test uh, in Bangalore, and then I decided you know, uh, you know given the given my rank, I thought you know maybe you know I should try out this course, right? And then BMS was a very good college, uh, and I wanted to be part of that uh, college. And out of the courses that were uh, available, you know, I thought maybe printing would be the right choice for me. Maybe uh, you know, I thought. Uh, I was a little bit inclined to the creative side from my school days as well. And I thought maybe this is the place I need to be. And I joined printing technology. Uh, and printing technology actually, uh, you know, was a course where, you know, there were a lot of various different subjects taught. So there were, you know, printing subjects for sure, right? Like, you know, typesetting, you know, lithography, offset printing, you know, car color reproduction, right? There were a lot of uh, printing-related subjects. But what also ended up happening is, you know, we had to learn a lot of other uh, subjects like, you know, computer science, applied electronics, a whole bunch of things. So that kind of gave, you know, both the technical aspects as well as the printing side of things. And uh, in the end, what happened is, you know, I learned a lot of things from uh, the printing courses, right? Like, one is on print design, typesetting, composition, photography, you know, use of digital editing softwares. I think these all kind of helped me, you know, put together and, you know, create that uh, step for, you know, getting into, you know, the digital medium as well. Right. And then when I uh, uh, finished my engineering, I uh, joined uh, a publishing company. And uh, that is when, you know, uh, I actually started off making that leap from the print to the digital media and uh, and i again i was contemplating what should i do right like because it's not like uh, you know i have a computer science engineering degree so to say to get into the it side of things right 
And what I did is uh, to, you know, join a, a web technology course, a six months course I joined where, you know, I uh, could actually pick up some, uh, you know, web technologies. And uh, even though I was not adept at, uh, you know, coding, I could, um, you know, pick up some basic uh, uh, JavaScript, HTML skills, which helped me through my initial part of my career, right? And then, uh, you know, after that course, I applied a lot of companies and then I got my first breakthrough in an e-commerce company. And uh, and that's where my actual journey uh, began into the design world, so to say the digital design world. And uh, I think, uh, you know, over a period of time, you know, I've kind of learned a lot of skills through my uh, career, right? At, uh, you know, the at my first company, it was all e-commerce. So I kind of learned a lot of uh, the e-commerce related uh, aspects and then i moved into an enterprise world uh, at hp so it was primarily uh, how the uh, design of business applications the complexity of business tools and other things came into play right so learned that and then switched to research right and then i learned a lot about user research uh, from my fellow colleagues because i wasn't you know into research or you know trained researcher right so i learned uh quite a bit on the user research from my fellow colleagues. And then I moved into a different domain, right, uh, at RSA Security, which was primarily a security domain, right? Like, and then looking at, uh, you know, how we can build great products for our network engineers or security analysts. And and then uh, in 2012, one of my, uh, you know, friend and colleague, he asked me if, uh, if I want to explore an opportunity with Walmart. And then I said, why not? Let's give it a shot, and then and then I joined Walmart, and uh, and I think from there onwards, you know, my journey with Walmart began. So if you look at it, like throughout my journey, right, like it's I, you know, I'm actually thankful to my friends and colleagues over the years who have supported, mentored, and helped me progress through this journey, right? Like, and I think this is, you know, it's really important, right? Like as you, you know, traverse through the journey, uh, you know, building that uh, connections with you know, your industry peers, colleagues and friends. And uh, that'll kind of really help you take the journey that you want. Interesting. In fact, you've been with Walmart for eight plus years. It's not trendy, um, you know, for professionals to stick around with their organizations for such a long time. What what um, inspires you uh, to to be with Walmart and, and, and keep continuing your journey there. So, Rohit, if you look at my career journey, right, like, so I've never had uh, short stints, right? If you look at my first company, right, like I spent close to four and a half years, right? And then uh, that's a tight code. And then at HP, again, I was there for five and a half years, RSC Security uh, slash EMC, around uh, three and a half, four years, uh, a little over that. And then Walmart, eight plus years, right? And I think, like, if you were to, you know, truly understand a business or a domain, right? Like, you need to really spend time, right? And I think that's what I primarily did at most of these companies, right? Like, I mean, at any domain or any business, right? There's so much to learn, right? So you need to spend some time OTing, right? I think that's what, you know, I look at, right? And that's why probably I've spent most time, I mean, more time uh, in each of these companies, right? Whether it's uh, the first company, which was into e-commerce, right? Like that's an interesting space to be in, right? Uh, 
and then with HPI, I had the opportunity to work on enterprise applications as well as on the research side of things, right? So that kept me interested. And then security was another domain, right? Like, so which is not well, uh, you know, known along with design, right? Like, so how can, you know, uh, design can help some of the security products, I think. Uh, some of these interesting areas and domains kept me going. And uh, when I joined Walmart, Walmart, uh, you know, the scale of Walmart is huge and then there's ample opportunities to kind of, you know, go explore things. You can go deeper into any of these domains, whether it's supply chain, whether it's merchandising, whether it's, you know, the customer experience, right? There's so much opportunity that, you know, it just gave me a lot of opportunities to keep exploring, right? And then I just went along with the flow. So Ramesh, another interesting thing that I came across while you were sharing your journey is that you clearly made the transition from the user interface world to the user experience world. Though both of these are connected at some level, what I wish to know is, did you need to develop different skill sets and how do you actually keep up with the changes with so many new concepts, frameworks and systems which are being introduced? I mean, the entire world of user experience, user interface, both of them are so dynamic. And there's so many new things that keep uh, coming uh, across, keep, you know, keep keep getting introduced in the industry so often. How, how do you, you know, manage to keep pace with, um, you know, what's new and and also your skill sets? Yeah, so like I said, right, like I, my first shift was from the print to the digital medium, right? And then when I actually got a break, uh, you know, with the my first company into it was if you look at the early 2000 right like so ux wasn't that uh, a common phrase right like it was more on the web design and other things right and that's where i as i mentioned right like when i picked up some basic html and javascript skills right through my course you know that kind of helped me right put together design plus do some bit of coding right so it was that right like it purely execution right and over in time and again, you know, as you get better at it, right? Like then you start to see a higher order of things, right? Like so, okay, right? Like so, if once you start building out screens, then you actually, you know, then you start, uh, you know, understanding, you know, does the screen really work, right? Does it is it actually, uh, you know, helping the user to get things done in the right way at the right moment, right? So over a period of time, right? Like so, we started thinking more and more about, uh, you know users right like so putting the user uh, you know the call the user centered uh, design methodology right and a lot of these concepts started coming into the forefront right like and as as we you know started to learn some of these concepts we started you know uh, putting these back into practice right like in you know given a problem statement right like uh, how do you you know go about doing the design for a given problem statement, right? You don't just get onto screen design, right? Like you try to understand uh, why, you know, why is this needed? Uh, you know, talk to users, understand, you know, what is it that they are trying to achieve and how can, you know, design enable something to be achieved in a easy and a simplified way, right? So I think it was a gradual transition, right? Like, and, uh, you know, over a period of time, you know, a lot of these things are learning, you know, through trainings, through, you know, attending conferences, to, you know, talking to various different people and seeing how, you know, different teams are doing things in a different way, right? And 
and that kind of you know set the tone right like uh, learning is always continuous right like so irrespective of you know where at what level of your career you are you need to kind of you know keep learning right and developing additional skills as you move through your career path is really important right and and these skills can come in handy and can be very resourceful right like sometimes you know in, in at some point of your career right like so you might not have all the resources to execute things right like when you are you know equipped with some of these things you can actually you know go all in and get things done and as we learn new concepts frameworks and systems right like so we will be able to quickly adapt to the needs of users business and environment right i mean if you are not nimble right like learning new things how behave, behave user behaviors are shifting and changing right we will not be able to you know adapt and provide the best experience for our target users right and this is very crucial right constant learning right and then uh, being able to adapt to the ever changing world we live in today right i think this is core to any designer for that matter right so and i think that's how you know i kind of traverse through this uh, transition from print to digital to you know UI to UX. Hey, did you know if Walmart were a country, it would be the 42nd largest economy in the world? Things uh, that I also, uh, you know, caught on from, you know, what, what you mentioned in your journey is this entire concept of design labs. Now we, we you know, kind of see this growing um, as a trend in, in a lot of large companies. The question that I have and, and something that I'm really curious about is, why are they separately called design labs and not just addressed as a design department in, in companies? Why the entire um, connotation of design labs? Uh, an interesting question, Rohit, right? See, if you look at design, right? Like, so design is an integral part of any product development process. You would have seen often we've come across this Venn diagram where UX is shown as the intersection of uh, you know technology, business, and design, right? If we were to put that in practice, right, that then it means that there needs to be a tighter synergy between product, engineering, and design teams, and all these th- teams coming together as uh, a single entity or a unit to solve a customer or a business problem. Again, you know, nomenclature of whether it needs to be called as a design team or labs is again subject to the nature of work being done, right? Sometimes, you know, organizations where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, blue sky, you know, conceptual work being done, very heavy user research focused work uh, being done, right? Like, so they could be termed as design labs, right? Uh, and, you know, some, you know, some organization where it's, it's a regular product development work, right? And uh, there are still... They are called as still design teams. But again, irrespective of the nomenclature, right? Like, so design is going to be an integral part. And then, you know, and a lot of companies, whether it's called as design labs or design team, right? Like there are, you know, teams that are working on design-led innovations right across the spectrum. So I think the net uh, or the key thing is that I think design is integral part of the development process. So that's how I would put it as. Interesting. In, 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 in fact, that's a very unique way of, uh, you know, looking at the entire thing. And while you were talking about it, um, you know, at Walmart and, uh, you know, talking about your workplace a little, 
one of the interesting things that i came across is uh, the entire focus on inclusion as one of its core value and the teams adopt uh, a design for all approach to develop products and services that are accessible to all the question that i have is how do you develop these skill sets and focus among team in fact what's interesting is inclusion has a very um, very unique definition at walmart in 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 your team because you are not only uh, talking about being inclusive uh, with respect to india as a country but but you know globally uh, to different cultures and 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 customers there so how do you develop these skill sets among team members and 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 this entire outlook yeah as you rightly said right like inclusion is one of our core values right and uh, and as a design team you know we want to make sure that the products that we design and develop are accessible for all i think inclusive design is for all right like so i think being inclusive can really help uh, you know everyone irrespective of whether somebody's uh, you know able or disabled right and that is something that we wanted to establish you know when we you know we didn't have this uh, you know the accessibility team that was uh, uh, set up in the early days but you know now we have actually a, a small but nimble accessibility team to drive an inclusive you know uh, design approach to all the products we design right so and the objective of this team is one is to kind of evangelize you know what accessible design is all about to one is to the design fraternity in uh, in india as well as uh, to you know the product and engineering stakeholders as well right so and uh, you know the team you know helps train designers to you know help them understand you know what accessibility is all about what are some of the things that they need to keep in mind when designing um, and also to the engineering folks you know what are some of the you know framework level uh, you know aspects that they need to take care of uh, you know when they are developing the code and finally you know the team also tests it out right like so they test the code to make sure that you know it is compatible with the devices that are used uh, for disabled people right like whether it's screen readers or head mouse or any of those um, devices and uh, and i think constant uh, you know awareness and you know helping Uh, train the teams to understand accessibility is key uh, to any anything that we do right and being inclusive i think that is the driving force uh, behind uh, you know uh, design for all objective so you know that's that's a, that's a very interesting thought process ramesh and um, you know uh, one of the questions that that i'm uh, intrigued to ask you know from what you just mentioned that it's very hard to duplicate the feeling of solving a complicated design problem of witnessing your own creativity logic and determination into the delight of users and in fact better yet past success helps us to pave the way for future solutions when designers can actually utilize methods and tools that benefited previous projects the question that i have here is how can designers access you know or sorry how can designers assess the negatives and positives of past design wins 
and use them in future projects. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a very, again, an interesting question, right? Like, so I think before I answer that, right, like we need to understand what are the various different types of projects, right? And not all projects are the same, right? I see various different levels of, you know, designer engagement, right? Like at a high level, if I look at it, right? Like, so there are three categories that I would say, right? Like, so one is completely a new product development, right? Second is an iterative or a, like there's already an existing product and we need to build out new features, right? And third is a completely a migration project, right? Which means that you have a legacy system and you need to move from that into a new tech stack, right? So, and for each of these, you know, the level of engagement that the designer goes or the process, I think it's it's slightly different, right? For new development, there's a lot of scope in bringing some fresh perspectives, right? Like, so understanding from a research perspective, right? Like, uh, you know, what are some of the things that we want to actually, you know, bring in into this new product, right? Or it could be like a new design language that we want to pilot as we, you know, kickstart this new product uh, venture, right? And and similarly, there are quite a few things, right? But for an existing product, right, like designers may have to work within the limitations of that product, right? And and also, right, like there might not be a lot of scope for you know, drastic changes. And for migration projects, when you're moving from a legacy stack to a newer one, in here, there is again an opportunity to, you know, build a better experience as well. It's it's not just plain screen to screen migration, right? Like there's an ample opportunity to, uh, you know, improve the experience considerably as well. So whichever may be the type of project that you are in, right? You learn a lot of things, right? What worked well, you know, you could try it for other projects. What didn't work, you know, you introspect and see, you know, why it didn't go well, right? And what could have been done better? So in irrespective of whether you know you are working in a new product development uh, iterative one or a migration project you learn a lot from all these experiences right like it it need not be just on the design front right it could be just uh, you know from the interactions in terms of you know you have with engineering stakeholders or product stakeholders in terms of negotiating features negotiating design uh, you know priorities and other things each has its own set of flavors and I wouldn't say you win or lose. You don't win or lose. You learn from the experience, right? So that's what I would say, right? So, you know, if something does did work, learn from, you know, why learn as to why it didn't work. And then, you know, and don't keep that as a burden, right? Like, so just keep moving, right? Nothing, like if you look at, I mean, I mean, this is a classic example, right? Like if you look at any product, right? If you look at Facebook or any Google or any of those products, right? Like if you look at the transition, right? Like if you look at the first design that was put up in, the, uh, in their early journey, right? To what they are, right? It's a constant uh, evolution, right? And sometimes we feel, you know, oh, look, you know, how, you know, that time, at that point of time, you know, this is, this was, was this the design that we did, right? But Yet again, right, like at that point of time, at that context, at that, uh, you know, need of the R for the users, right? Like, so that was probably the best solution that was built out, right? It's it's just a constant learning that, you know, you uh, get from various uh, types of projects that you are in, right? 
and then you utilize you know what worked well and then you know and keep improvising right there is no set formula for uh, any of these things and you know while we also spoke about you know keeping pace with the changing dynamics in the world of user experience uh, design you know my next question comes from there that as as a field keeps evolving we need to explore new methods for measuring emotional response using technologies say borrowed and refined from neuroscience and human biology and there are still significant challenges to implementing these new measurements what i wish to know is what according to you is the future of the methods that are widely used to study emotional responses yeah absolutely right so i, I mean it it's a challenging area to kind of you know measure right typically in uh, a lot of designers rely on the qualitative feedback from users to gauge the experience of the product right and uh, and of course quantitative methods like you know sus nps csat these are all uh, commonly used right again if you look at the various different frameworks right like i think one that um, you know i kind of like is uh, the google's heart metrics right which is happiness engagement adoption retention and task success right so if you look at just the happiness quotient right like so what is happiness right like happiness is an emotional response to an outcome right and uh, and in that framework you know it's kind of explicitly captured through you know again it's a lot of these things have to be explicitly captured right like through user satisfaction surveys app ratings reviews nps etc right and there's another thing that was actually i was actually reading through also which is called as the net emotional value right like so which is derived when you combine all the feelings of your users positive and negative and uh, when you kind of summate all these emotions right what what's the final emotional value is right so you know which is basically you know the positive minus negative and then that would be the positive emotions minus the negative emotions that would give you the net emotional values right so if you look at a lot of these frameworks or measurement tech, uh, you know uh, methodologies that are there right like a lot of these are very explicit right like so you are you know sending out a survey or you are asking user to kind of rate it right and then you kind of take all these values and then kind of come up with a score to define it right i, I mean it would be interesting to see if at some point of time though through ai if we can implicitly derive some of these things so and then that can be like you know what to say a good way for designers to kind of you know see that like let's say you do a, a mvp launch and then uh, you know one week into the you know launch the system then provides you feedback hey look this is how the emotional score or the emotional response for this app is without having to you know explicitly solicit feedback from the users i think that would be the day where you know you could you know really say with a lot of uh, the emerging technology we can actually yeah you know measure these very interesting hey did you know walmart in 2005 had a singles night where people had bows on their cart if they were looking for someone i mean this sounds so exciting um, you know uh, a powerful idea if if, if someone is able to do this this is going to be really really interesting and i'll come down to another question on ai in in a moment uh, but one more interesting uh, things and especially 
uh, where you've also been working, in, is, is in the recent years, modern digital technologies such as the cloud, IoT, drones, robotics, and others have made the traditional logistics industry more advanced and agile as well. In fact, today's customers require seamless and more transparent buying experiences, which businesses can deliver by designing customer-centric supply chain networks and automating logistics processes. The question that I have for you is, what are the key factors that designers should keep in mind while designing systems for logistics and supply chain specifically? I think irrespective of the domain, right? right like, so there are technologies in the form of IoT, drones, etc., which can be used as tech interventions, right? So as de- as designers, right, uh, my uh, you know primary guidance is that look beyond the screens, right? Not all the interfaces are in the screen, or all the interaction modalities need to be on the screen, right? So this is where you know a more uh, holistic. Uh, approach in terms of you know thinking the overall problem area and the solution right needs to happen right so and again you know going a step above right like so understanding the customer journey the ecosystem getting a broader perspective of you know how things are right and not just uh, you know looking at the uh, the area that you are uh, working in right like so starting to elevate and seeing things above uh, what you are currently looking into can give a lot of perspective. And I think the more you go deeper, you will start to uncover a lot of the opportunities. So, and that's why I emphasized earlier as well, right? Like, so, you know, getting more and more deeper into any domain, whether it's logistics or supply chain, right? It can help you uncover a lot of these potential opportunities. The more deeper you understand, the better you will be able to identify the intervention points which can help you build out a seamless and a transparent experience for our customers, right? So then it would be easily identified, hey, look, what if we use some kind of, let's say, a beacons here, right? Like, would that help somebody who's working in a warehouse or somebody who's navigating a store? Can that really help? So then, you know, if you can kind of start weaving in those experiences, right? Like, so non-screen-based um, interventions into that overall experience right, then it can actually, uh, you know, you can feel that seamless and a transparent, uh, you know, uh, flow coming across the entire journey. So the more you can soak into, you know, understanding some of the technology aspects, right, and the problem area that you are working in, the better you will be able to innovate great experiences for your target users. Interesting. In fact, uh, what's, what's coming out of, of our conversation, Ramesh, is more and more interesting ideas that a lot of our listeners could actually pick up and create exciting innovations around, which, which could really become the unicorns of future. So, so all the future entrepreneurs uh, among designers and technology, uh, you know, techies who are listening uh, to our show, you know, these are some interesting uh, pointers for you to capture. And moving from here to another uh, question, uh, Ramesh, is interaction design operates at the boundary of human and digital things. In fact, designers now have the responsibility of making sense of this continuously evolving digitally mediated world. 
and the design outcomes of interaction design are increasingly on interconnected platforms where a design choice causing a small change in one part of the system can lead to ripples throughout the larger systems. My question is, how can designers be system thinkers that identify points for design interventions and think of their design as a part of the entire uh, evolving ecosystem out there? Yes, right, right. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's like an extension. I think some of the points I covered in my previous answer as well, right? Like, if you typically look at designers. Designers are adept at uh, design thinking. And, and along with that, it'd be good to, you know, build some muscle around system thinking as well. Because this will help broaden the horizon and start, uh, you know, viewing systems from a broader perspective, right? Like seeing the overall structures, the patterns, the cycles in systems, Rather than just seeing some specific, uh, you know, events of flow within their, uh, you know, product ecosystem that they are working. And the more you actually start doing it, you know, it will start, you know, you know, helping the designers think broadly, right? I mean, it sometimes it's really difficult as well, right? Like so, because you might not have the time to kind of, you know, go through that entire ecosystem. A lot of times you're, you know, struggling with, you know, timelines and other things. But as and when you get opportunity, I think it's good to kind of put those piece, uh, you know, those pieces in place and see, you know, okay, so now I'm working on this product A, right? Like, so how does this get connected to product B, right? And what are the inputs that go from A to B, right? And is there something that's feeding into the product A, right? And uh, is there anything, you know, beyond that? Are there is are these products talking to any other systems, right? Like, so and then start you know, building that complete ecosystem in terms of, you know, how the entire uh, ecosystem is placed, right? So you will start getting, right, like, so a complete understanding of, you know, how something flows from point A to point B, but you might be just working on, let's say, a subsystem of a point A. So I think the better you start getting that understanding more, like, that will help you uh, you know, be better at, uh, you know, solving the systemic problems, right? And, but not just solving just, you know, okay, so, you know, as a user, I need to do this thing. So I need to maybe probably add a bunch of fields here and then, you know, complete the work here. So uh, that's where I was telling in my earlier answer as well, right? Like, so we should start looking beyond the screens, right? Like, so screen is not just the only modality of interaction, right? So as we start elevating more um, beyond the screens, that's when we will start, uh, you know, coming up with innovative solutions. And 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 I think that uh, takes time as well, right? Like, but you know, consciously having that at the back of your mind is really useful. You know, one of the other things with these screens and and you know AI also that you mentioned earlier. In fact, designers are rather optimistic, thinking about the impact that. AI has on the design community. You know, Ramesh, it would be great if you could share with us what benefit will the design community get from the technology shift with with AI coming in? What will be the new creative options for designers? I I think we'll see a lot of opportunities that uh, AI can help or aid designers in their legwork, right? Right. I think a good example would be the Google's Auto Draw, right? Like 
not every you know designer has an artistic side to them a lot of we've seen you know engineering engineers turned uh, designers we've seen you know finance people turned designers right so not everybody you know well, may have an artistic side to them right like and i think google autotraw is a good example where you know designers can complete their rough sketches into polished ones right like so and it it's kind of you know helping the designers but not you know uh you know feeling that you know they don't have the artistic side they're not able to create those polished sketches and other things right like that's a one one of the examples right so similarly right like even for personalization or for data driven design inputs right and again right like so coming back to the question of you know how do you measure emotional response right today we do that implicitly right like so maybe at some point of time designers get those inputs automatically telling that okay hey for this feature that you've launched this is the emotional score that uh, response that the users are having and maybe it could suggest certain things right like so maybe this is why this is this response is so that you know designers can then tweak those uh, interactions or flows and then launch another uh, an updated version of the uh, feature or uh, uh, the screen that they have developed and then the system the ai system can then again provide the feedback back telling hey look now your you know emotional response to this updated feature is better than what you have already released and i see there's a lot of potential we have yet to uncover it but you know there is a lot of potential with ai aiding the designers interesting and um, i'm i'm sure that uh, there're going to be very uh, exciting opportunities um, you know for for both designers and techies operating and that brings us to our last question ramesh is that at avantika university we've 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 coined this term uh, called as designering which is a blended approach of design and engineering my question is that while in the entire recording we spoke about how both of these worlds are converging do you think that um, that in, in in reality actually this philosophy works and uh, has it has it worked for you personally in terms of building meaningful experiences for your customers yes absolutely right as designers right we you know a lot of times we conceptualize uh, you know and uh, conceptualize ideas you know bring a lot of those ideas into some tangible form right and uh, people are able to visualize them and see uh, how a product would look like or behave right and uh, engineering is what it takes to bring that concept uh, into its true form so again right like so as designers if they are equipped to you know understand some of these technology aspects or some of the engineering aspects right like it will really help right and i mean you as you progress through your career right like often you might come across various scenarios right like where you will have to collaborate with engineering teams and you will be in a better position to understand their viewpoint as well as you know you will be in a better position to negotiate uh, you know uh, some of uh, you know design interventions that you need to build as part of uh, the product development process and sometimes you know some of these engineering skills can come in nifty and you can be pretty resourceful in you know maybe just building out certain things uh, quickly to kind of you know validate some of the hypotheses that you had uh, while you know conceptualizing the product and i think it 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 is truly uh, you know uh, helpful and as we are getting into more of you know 
this interconnected and the smart world, right? I think a lot of these things, you know, having designers equipped with uh, you know, some of these aspects would really help in, you know, uh, shaping them as better designers in the future. Absolutely. And that was uh, lovely, actually, recording with you, uh, listening to so many interesting thoughts. In fact, um, I, I I would call uh, this this entire conversation as a um, conversation of multiple ideas that, uh, you know, that, that people can choose from and, and build um, really interesting future uh, innovations around. Thank you so much, Ramesh, for doing this. It was it was a pleasure hosting you on our show. Uh, thank you, Rohit, and it was a honor for me to be part of this uh, podcast session as well. Thank you. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.